Cyber Bible Church. We've got uh, several opportunities I want to make you aware of. Um, one of them is happening tonight in our children's ministry. Uh, if you didn't, uh, weren't made aware of, we've had these flyers out here in the hallway. And so tonight, tonight they're having their family fun night. And so uh, if you want some more information on that, you can uh, grab one of these. You're welcome to come. If you need child care for children under two, uh, you do need to let them know that and make a reservation ahead of time. So uh, other opportunities, uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we made an announcement that we were raising funds uh, for a project in India and Nepal. Uh, they're in a desperate situation there due to COVID. 
And so we made a plea to our congregation to raise some funds to help them to purchase some food and uh, as an opportunity to open up doors for the gospel for, with our laborers there. And uh, the Go Long team said that we would match up to $5,000. And so with the $5,000 match, totally we, ra we raised over $16,000. So praise, praise God for that. Uh, in coordination with our summer kids programming, we also have two additional opportunities uh, to help raise some funds. Uh, one of them is for the Simpsons. The Simpsons are getting ready to go to South Africa, and we are partnering with them uh, in that work. And uh, one thing that would be extremely helpful for them is when they're in South Africa is to be able to get around. In order to do that, they're going to need a vehicle. So our kids are pledging to raise uh, half of those funds. The total cost is $12,000. We would like to raise six. Uh, some of us said, hey, let's go ahead and raise all 12. Uh, I don't know. Can we do it? What do you think? I think we can. So let's, uh, let's uh, contribute in that. And again, you should have received one of these flyers coming in if you want some more information on what that looks like. Uh, we're also doing the food drive. Uh, so the goal is, again, to fill the trailer. And so there's about 270 crates would fill that trailer uh, to help Cypress Assistance Ministries here locally. And so we have pledged to, to meet that goal, and I think we can do that as well. And so if you would pledge to, if, if, if we each would pledge to fill a crate, we would, we would accomplish that fairly quickly. Uh, so just uh, pray about how God would have you uh, be involved in these areas. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's go to Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. You are an awesome God, and we are so grateful for the opportunities uh, you give us to partner with you in your kingdom work around the world and here locally. Uh, so we thank you for the, the blessings of being able to gather this morning to worship you. Uh, our desire is to do such in, in truth and in spirit, Lord, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Uh, please direct your attentions to the screen. CBC, what's going on? When we look at the Word of God, when we look in all the pages, we see story after story after story that testify to the faithfulness of God, to the mercy and the love and the kindness of God. For us as followers of Jesus Christ, we all have a story to tell as well that testify to those very things. And I'm excited to announce that we're going to start sharing those stories. And we want to use social media as a platform to share these amazing stories with the people around us, not just in our church community, but the actual community around Cypress Bible Church. And so we're going to do these very things on Facebook and Instagram. And so if you will follow us on those social media platforms, Cypress Bible Church, uh, we'd love for you to help engage in that aspect because we do want to also develop a community, an online community where we can engage one another through this platform in order to encourage one another and build one another up. And so I'm going to email you or I may even come up to you and chat with you to see, hey, would you be willing to share your story? And we may either use video or photography to do those things. But it excites me because we all have a story to tell and I can't wait to hear your story. Man, would you stand again as we sing a few more songs? It's really privileged to have a late Father's Day gift. My family's up here for singing with me, so it's pretty awesome. Forever echo holy is the Lord. 
We're going to do one more song uh, before we break, but um, this is just a neat song. Just think of the words of the, we're just going to do the verses, but um, it's just so impactful. So let's see if we can do this here. and I'm glad I get to be with you today. I need a volunteer. Is there a kid out there that wants to help me with our lesson today? Any kids over here? Throw your hands up in the air if you want to help me out. Let's see. I see a hand over here. You want to come on up? Is that Hannah? Come on up, Hannah. And so today we are continuing our series about 1 Corinthians, but we are also continuing our series that we've been teaching the kids about facing our giants. And there's lots of giants that we face. But when we talk about giants, we're not just talking about tall people. We're talking about
about monsters. So let me hear, what are some monsters from movies or TV shows or books that you know of? Just shout them out. What are some monsters you can think of? What do you think? Uh-huh. What else? Nobody said King Kong. Nobody said Godzilla. There's all sorts of monsters out there. And when we think about monsters, we want to think about the fact that we can defeat those monsters. And so when we talked about facing our giants on Wednesday, we talked about how they're not real giants, right? They're not actual tall things we're facing. But these are the things that we face as we go through life that maybe try to keep us from living 100% for God. Things like fear and sadness and embarrassment so that we don't share Jesus with others or as though we don't do the right thing. And so these giants, just like the giants of Canaan trying to keep the Israelites from the promised land, they keep us from living 100% for God. But the truth is, those giants have no power. We see Jesus has already won the victory for us. So Hannah, I want you to help me out today. Now, what we have is a backpack. And this backpack reminds us, go ahead and put it on, is that we have a burden, a burden of sin. Show how heavy that burden is. And the burden of sin kept us down. It kept us from living 100% for God. It helped us from relationship with him. And we know what happened is that Jesus took that burden from us, that he died in our place and he took the heavy burden. He became sin, he died and he was buried and he rose again and defeated the power of death, defeated the power of sin. So we no longer have to let those giants lord over us. And so we have hope from the past, from scripture, that Jesus has already overcome the enemy. And today as we're looking in 1 Corinthians, we also have hope for the future. Hannah, can you step up here? I'll give you a hand. Step on top of the chair. I know you're not usually supposed to stand on chairs, but you can do it today. Yeah, you can do it just like that. And so we're talking about how we're given a new body in the new heaven and the new earth and uh, how we're all going to be changed. And so we know that even when we die, we are going to have victory over death. And we don't have to be afraid because Jesus gives us that victory. And we're going to get a new body. And who knows exactly what that body is going to look like. Maybe it'll look something like this. What do you all think? How would you like to have Superman's body in the new creation? Yeah, it'd be pretty good. And so we know we don't have to fear death because Jesus gives us that victory. But the truth is that Jesus gives us the victory in the present as well. We don't have to fear our giants. We don't have to fear death or sin or temptation because today we can clothe ourselves in Christ. You can face your giants because Jesus already defeated the enemy. You see, we have a verse from today that says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Hannah, I want you to live in victory today. Everyone, I want you to live in victory today, knowing that Jesus has already paid the price. He has already defeated the enemy, and he gives us the victory when we trust in him. So I'm going to help you with this. And everyone give Hannah a round of applause. So what happens after death? What happens after death? We can uh, look at uh, all the different world religions and what they believe and say, and uh, those who don't believe anything. Stephen Hawking represented the humanist, atheist view when uh, he said, the brain is a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's a fairy story. So he represents that view that uh, after death, there's eternal nothingness. There's annihilation. Buddhism uh, sees a cycle of death and rebirth. And that continues until they escape suffering and cease to exist altogether. Islam teaches that there is paradise, Jannah, uh, which is a home for the righteous. It's basically life uh, with the Lord in a garden. And uh, there, faithful men get 70 wide-eyed, pure companions uh, with beautiful eyes. And I don't know what the women get, but the faithful men get that. Hinduism teaches reincarnation, another cycle of uh, rebirth. But uh, in Hinduism, uh, you take on a, a new form depending upon your actions. So if you failed to learn in uh, that life, then you uh, will reincarnate in a lower form, like a donkey or an insect, or as someone said, married to a Kardashian. For uh, Hindus, uh, the soul is eternal, and it just changes bodies and form. And spiritualists, on the other hand, they believe 
uh, that the afterlife is a realm where spirits continue to exist and interact with life on earth um, and uh, those living through mediums. Uh, Judaism focuses more on this life than it does an afterlife. And in fact, the Torah doesn't really have a clear teaching on what happens after death. And so Jewish beliefs can vary widely from uh, reincarnation to resurrection. But overall, that's just a, a, a sample of what some major belief systems or unbelief systems uh, think about the afterlife. Uh, when you poll Americans who believe heaven is a real place, so these are Americans who believe heaven is a real place, 82% say that that existence is spiritual and not physical. Now there's a problem with that. So what, what's the majority is saying that they believe in eternal life, but they really don't have a biblical view of it. It's just some spiritual thing rather than also physical. Uh, and that idea has been around forever. The idea that the body is evil, that the material world is evil, and death is an escape from the evil of this world. Um, and that's, uh, that belief system has been around for a long time. In fact, some Corinthian Christians were believing that. And that's uh, one of the reasons Paul writes this letter, to correct uh, those kinds of misunderstandings. In chapter 15, that's what he's been doing about the, the life to come, correcting those misunderstandings. And so far in this chapter, we've seen that death is not a friend. In fact, death is an enemy. Uh, it's a cosmic invader that entered our world through sin. And God sent his perfect son to rescue us from the power of sin and death. And Jesus won the victory by his sacrificial death, his burial, his resurrection from the grave. And Paul presented earlier in this chapter uh, evidence of that, the historical eyewitness testimony of the resurrection. And this fact of Christ's defeating death uh, guarantees that all who trust in him will also be raised. And so, yes, the Bible teaches that the soul is eternal, uh, but Christian theology also promises a resurrection body. And, and that's the hope after the grave, a resurrection body. At some point in the future, our souls, the souls of all those who are in Christ, will be clothed with a body. And so now the Apostle Paul anticipates some questions about this, and as we pick up our study in chapter 15, verse 12, or 35 rather, he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So Paul is addressing what he believes might be some questions that are out there from the Corinthians. And since Corinthian culture, as we've seen through these uh, months of study, they prized wisdom above just about everything else. Uh, being foolish was horrifying. And Paul uses some very strong language to talk about how foolish it is to ignore the power of God and the promise of God. Because some Corinthians were ridiculing the idea of dead bodies living again. That was countercultural to them, uh, that life would arise from a carcass. And, and so how's this possible? And so basically in this passage, Paul is addressing two questions. And these are the ones that we want to focus on this morning. The first question is, what will your resurrection body be like? He's already said, there is one. So what will it be like? And the second question is, well, why do you need this resurrection body? Um, so we're going to go through this text here from verses now 37 and following. Uh, because I want you to realize that Christianity is not a disembodied, ethereal, non-material belief system. Hope centers on the resurrected body that has been won uh, for us by Christ. And because of Jesus, we are guaranteed a new body that's ready for eternity. So I want to answer this first question of what will your resurrection body be like? And there are three characteristics of this body as we go through what Paul says here. These are three features of your heavenly body. Let's begin with the first one. Number one, there's continuity but not duplication. Continuity, not duplication. Verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives it his, its own body. So just like a seed planted in the ground develops into something else, Paul says, so does our body. Uh, this body is new and different, and yet it's related to the seed from which it came. Uh, the seed has to deconstruct for life to come, and what grows is quite different. And, of course, that, 
that process that God has created constantly goes on in our world. The, uh, the, the number of seeds that are both scattered and dropped and planted purposely, uh, every season in our world is, is astronomical, beyond counting. Uh, and the seed appears dead, but when it germinates uh, and sprouts and grows, what develops uh, is different between the original and the final form. As we've announced over the last few weeks, there's a our Go ministry is starting a gardening team, and uh, and uh, the two guys who are uh, heading up this team, I know that in my estimation, they're kind of expert gardeners, and uh, we a group of people have gathered around them as we look to to grow this ministry. And I know that these two guys, in particular, of all the things that they grow, they grow some some I think very rare uh, kinds of tomatoes. And if you just consider a tomato for a moment and, and the tomato seed, without any prior knowledge, you can't look at that tiny yellow seed and imagine a, a, a big green plant that produces pounds and pounds of, of tasty, colorful tomatoes. Uh, and yet, that's exactly what happens. While not obvious, one emerges from the other. One emerges from the other. And so, Paul says, it is with the resurrection body. What is raised is connected to what is buried, but it's far more glorious. The resurrection body is not a spruced-up version of the physical body, but it's connected to it. It will be different, but continuous. For what's buried, Paul says, can only produce one type as God determines. So a tomato seed cannot produce a zucchini, so it is in the uh, resurrection body. There's continuity, even though the form changes. When Jesus came out of the tomb, uh, his body was different from what had been buried. He was identifiable, but limited, not limited by time, by space, by material substance. A new form of existence developed, connected to the original, but not duplicate. So that's the first characteristic, continuity, not duplication. The second is individuality, not conformity. This is what your resurrection body will be like. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another fish another there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another the sun has one kind of splendor the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star in splendor oh we are not products off an assembly line that's not how god creates how god works individuality is actually god's pattern for the universe in every corner of it uh, each chromosome contains between dozens and thousands of different genes. And the total possible combination for those genes in, in humans is over 70 trillion. You say, well, uh, that's a lot, but do you realize that this is trillions of times more combinations than the number of people who have ever lived on this planet? which doesn't even total a trillion. Uh, so this is an incredible amount of diversity in, in, within us, within our genes. Drew Smith, who has a PhD in molecular, cellular, and developmental biology, says that the possible combinations of DNA is a number so large that it's meaningless. It's meaningless, like an enormous number. And, and so uh, the, the individuality that God puts into all of, uni uh, of our universe is true not only on this earth, but in space. There are differences between the moon and the, and the sun and how stars appear to us. They are all glorious. That's the word that's used here, splendor, but they're not quite the same. Allos doxa is the Greek phrase of, of uh, the, the kind of glory, a different kind of glory. Allos doxa uh, means another of the same kind of glory. So the splendor of a sunny day of uh, a moonlit night, of a starry sky. They're all glorious. They're all s filled with splendor, but different. And God's creation is characterized by infinite variety. And that creation and that variety is not going to change in eternity. Uh, variety and individuality is going to continue. So the question that I've been asked numerous times in my life is, will we know each other in heaven? And I say, why would we be any less intelligent in heaven than we are now? If uh, you remember uh, when Moses and Elijah appeared and talked with Jesus while his disciples watched, uh, even Peter knew that it was Moses and Elijah, and they weren't wearing name tags. Uh, there was this ability to recognize who they were, and that's going to continue in heaven. This, the splendor or the glory uh, that is to come is a new form of existence. God will bring to life the seed of the one who has died in a physical form that's appropriate to the new environment that is to come. 
uh, glory, when he says splendor or glory, doxa, uh, that uh, means you will finally realize the fullness of the image of God that you were created to be. So the individuality, not conformity. The third characteristic is perfection, not correction. Uh, Verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now I have a a lot of things that need correcting. My vision is always in need of correction. Ever since I was a little kid, uh, uh, my hair is getting increasingly need of correction. My teeth in need of correction. Uh, I have injuries and, uh, and uh, weakening muscles, all of these things that need to be corrected. But the resurrection body is not simply an improvement on your existing body. It, it, it's not a return to the peak condition of your best years. And by the way, I had no idea when that was in my life, and then it was over. I don't remember what year it was, but there it was, and it was gone, and it's not coming back. And the, the resurrection body is not, oh, you're going to return to your best times. No. Look at the description here. We'll, we'll go through a couple of the, the phrases. Raised imperishable. What we've got now spoils, disintegrates, and the body to come is the opposite of that. Nothing goes bad. It will be, in fact, immortal. As 2 Timothy 1.10 says, Our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that immortal body, no aging, no sickness, no change over time, no decay, no pain, no death. And then it's raised in glory as well. Uh, What we've got now is less than perfect, but it will be filled with splendor. Uh, This is the same word used of the heavens earlier in this passage. Uh, This body will allow us to please God without fail. There will be no flaw, no temptation, no limitation to get in the way. As uh, Philippians 3 says, we eagerly await a Savior who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Same word, that's splendor. And then uh, raised in power. Right now there's weakness, but it will come in power. What we have now is, is lacking strength and diminishing strength. And we end with a whimper, a, a sigh, and weakness. And as age advances, our physical abilities change and our strength diminishes. But the body to come is mighty, filled with power. And then it's also spiritual as opposed to natural. Right now the natural, psuchikos is the Greek word here, which means having breath. It means earthbound, but it will be spiritual, pneumatikos, filled with the Spirit, belonging to God. And so the new life principle of the resurrection body is not blood, but Spirit. And Martin Luther described, the, uh, the great theologian Martin Luther, described the function of the resurrected body this way, uh, translated from the German. As weak as it is now, without all power and ability when it lies in the grave, so strong will it be eventually become when the time arrives so that not a thing will be impossible for it if it has a mind for it and it will be so light and agile that in an instant it can float both here below and on earth and above in heaven so that is uh luther's understanding of what the scriptures teach of the resurrection body uh this this powerful perfected thing that god has created and we have a prototype for this and paul goes on to tell us that the next verse verse 49 Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this body that we have is the Adam and Eve model, and the new body is the uh, risen Jesus model. And Christ, after the resurrection, gives us insight into what our heavenly body will be like. He appears and disappears. He talks. uh, He eats. He can be recognized. He can be touched. Uh, And he is our icon, is the word there, our image, our likeness. And you just think of uh, both Adam's creation and the the risen Jesus and how he appeared. Adam wasn't created as a baby or as a boy or as an old man. He was a perfect human specimen, mature and marriageable from that moment of creation. And our heavenly body will be in that same way. It will be resurrected as Jesus was at highest efficiency and greatest perfection. And so, uh, just to to summarize here, what will your resurrection body be like? Those three characteristics. Continuity, be 
continuous with what you have now. There will be individuality, and there will be perfection in a way that's beyond what we can even imagine. So now let's get to the second question. Well, why do you need this body? Paul goes to a great lengths to describe it. Well, why do we need it? Three reasons. First of all, to enter God's kingdom. Verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now the truth is, you and I can't be with God the way that we are now. Uh, we could not see God and live. Your skin and bone, your human frame, is not constituted for eternity. Your fragile, sin-stained, deteriorating self is not fit for the imperishable kingdom to come. Uh, you must be transformed, and so must I. You must be changed. So you will still have a body, but it will be remade. It will be your body, because it's continuous, connected, but different, greater, more wonderful. And the mystery that Paul talks about here, that he's telling uh, the believers, the mystery uh, is that this transformation happens to all believers, living or dead. Well, when? When does it happen to all believers living or dead? Well, we saw last week, verse 23, it happens at the coming of the Lord. The parousia, we talked about that, what that means, the coming of the Lord, the, the, the return of Jesus, that's when the dead uh, and the living will be transformed. Bodies long buried and decomposed, scattered around the earth, will be raised, reconstituted, reanimated in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. And those still alive when Jesus returns uh, will also receive a new body instantaneously. And I think the good description for this is First Thessalonians chapter 5, particularly verse 17. And we will all be changed. Uh, different so that your body lives forever and has a capacity for full joy. Right now, your body, my body, cannot handle the fullness of joy that's promised to us in heaven. And so we have a new body that will be able to receive that joy. Uh, but it will be like this body enough that we will know each other. The old becomes new, but your body will be now ready for the eternal kingdom. No one has this resurrected body right now other than Jesus. Nobody has the resurrection body right now other than Jesus. You say, well, what about my loved one who knew Jesus and followed Jesus, who's long dead? Well, Scripture teaches, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and uh, awaiting this day of resurrection. You say, well, what, what's happening right now? If they need a body to be in, to enter God's kingdom, well, what's happening is that God uh, has, has this intermediate status for those who have died before the resurrection uh, comes. 2 Corinthians 5 describes this, I believe. You see, bodies are so crucial to God's plan that he supplies one now so that the believing dead will be clothed temporarily until the final change that we'll, all will experience at the last trumpet. So those who have died in Christ are right now experiencing something far greater than anything they experienced on this earth, but they won't receive the final and most glorious change until the resurrection. So they're not disembodied spirits. They are clothed right now awaiting the day of final resurrection with all of God's people. And you need that new body to enter God's kingdom to enjoy it. And then secondly, you need that body to enjoy Christ's victory. Verse 54, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, death is an enemy. And that enemy, that invader, seemed to defeat Jesus. But three days later, that grievous loss uh, became the greatest victory as death was defeated by Christ. Three days later, walked out of the grave, and now death has no hold for those who are in Christ. By his one sacrifice, he broke the power of sin. He satisfied the law's demand by paying the death sentence I deserve to, de to pay. Uh, he died the death I deserve to die. Uh, he satisfied the law's demands in that way, and one day, uh, death will be forever removed. 
It will be swallowed like a, a grain of sand dropped in the middle of the ocean. Uh, in a resurrected body, every believer will live with God and, and God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, nor grief, nor crying, nor pain. Revelation 21, 4. And that's the day of victory and you will need a new body to enjoy it. That day of victory is coming. You're going to need a new body to enjoy that. Uh, remember that after the resurrection, uh, Jesus had a body that could be seen and heard and touched and he could walk and eat and converse and suddenly appear. And that's the kind of body we will have. And so we can be fully enjoying face-to-face uh, opportunity with the Savior, and we can experience all that he has for us. Because our future is not a disembodied state. It's to reign with Christ over a new heaven and a new earth. Well, the, the, the third reason you need this resurrection body is to encourage life right now. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's the so what. See, God intends this doctrine of the resurrection to matter in your life and in my life right now. The previous 57 verses have spelled out the evidence for the resurrection. They've listed the gains of the resurrection. They've described your new resurrection body. Therefore, means based on all of that, here's how you can live. Based on the fact that Christ has come, that he has died for your sin, that he has been raised to life, that you're no, uh, no longer under condemnation, that you're no longer enslaved to the fear of death. And even if your body dies and you're buried first, uh, Christ will return and you will rise. And your imperishable new body will enter into eternal victory. Based on all that, therefore, what do you need to do? Stand firm. Stand firm means to stay settled in Christ. Don't go looking for something else. Everything is found in him alone. He's all you need. In Christ, all God's promises are, rest, are, are yes, so abide in him. Stand firm. Next, let, let nothing move you. That means persist. Don't give up. When the storms of adversity beat against you, don't be knocked off the one foundation. Stay grounded in Jesus. And then give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Fill your days with things that count for Christ. That's, that's why this doctrine is important. Uh, increase your efforts for him. Don't decrease them. Make your plans and your dreams about his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because you have the promise of resurrection. Because of this glorious new body promised to all who believe, it's worth the effort to spend and be spent for Christ now. Nothing is a waste when it's done for the Lord. Every act of love and service and worship has meaning and value and purpose because of the resurrection. Now, when Hilda Whaley told me about how her father died, she was about 90 years old. And her father had died when she was just a few months old. Because what happened was that Hilda's mom took her, the little baby in arms, and her three-year-old brother down to the, the dock in Quebec. Uh, and Hilda, of course, doesn't remember this. She's only hearing about it after. But they went to the dock to watch her father sail off to London. He sailed on the, the Empress of Ireland. And, uh, see, her father, Ernest Aldridge, was part of the Salvation Army band. And they were sailing to London to play there on this ship. They said goodbye to Ernest, and the, there were 34 members of the Canadian Salvation Army Band all on board this ship, along with a lot of other people. Well, at uh, 2 a.m. the next day, the Empress of Ireland collided with a coal carrier, and it exploded, and it sank in 14 minutes. And over 1,000 people died including 27 of the 34 members of the Salvation Army Band. And pictured there is that band along with Ernest, who was one of those who died. So Hilda never knew her father. And now all these years later, she tells me the story. She shares with me the news clippings and and she wonders, as a wonderful Christian woman, she, she ponders and wonders, what would it be like to, to meet my father in heaven? Because Ernest was 30 years old when he died. 
And Hilda's 90 years old. And that was odd for her to think about. Well, how strange to imagine a 90-year-old meeting the 30-year-old father. But of course, it won't happen that way. Raised in greatest perfection and possibility, they will meet in the courts of heaven because both of them had trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. Raised at the greatest time of potential possibility and power, perfection. Hilda's mother wrote this death notice, and I, she gave it to me, a copy of it, and I, I want to read it to you. In loving memory of Ernest William Aldrich, promoted to glory from the wreck of the Empress of Ireland, May 29, 1914. One less at home, the charmed circle broken, a dear face missed day by day from its accustomed place, but cleansed, saved, and perfected by grace. One more in heaven, Lord Jesus, grant us all a place at home with thee. That's the hope of every believer, isn't it? The hope of a resurrected body and the presence of God, the hope of reunion with those we love. And this scripture promises that we will all be changed. We will all be changed. I, I want us to celebrate and to praise God for that thought today. Because that not only is some doctrine that is true, it has impact on how you live and what you do in this day and age. And so as we bring this service to a close, I invite you to stand with me and uh, we'll sing together about the resurrection. You know, I, I, I want you to just bear in mind, you've been in a cemetery before, likely, and um, you look at cemeteries we, where we have placed our loved ones and so often as I have done a graveside service, I quote Eric Sauer's words that say, this grave is a seed plot of the resurrection. And that's what it is for all of those who trust in Christ. Because of Jesus, we are guaranteed a body ready for eternity. Immortal, glorious, powerful, spiritual, just like his body. Hallelujah.
from Paul's concluding words on this incredible chapter of resurrection which call us and encourage us in how to live in this day because this is true. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.